Hello and welcome to the next episode of Loathe Like Love with me, Contrera, a new mini-series maybe from Beyond Bechdel. I know what I'm doing, honestly. Um, Hopefully you've listened to the first episode. It was a uh, lengthy 17 minutes long, which I can tell you was very easy to edit. It took um, much less time than normal, even though I had to listen to my own voice an awful lot. Um, and I thought I'd try and get another one out. I'm going to post this on beyondbeckdale.com because I am trying to market the website um, where we have all of our other podcast episodes from season one through to uh, season two and our pandemic pods. And then I will put this up so that everyone can get it on their phones. I think you can listen to it on, on beyondbeckdale.com if you want to do it that way. Uh, but I know people like downloading things to their phones. Um, I hope you enjoyed the first episode. I got quite a few page views and um, people seem to like it. So that was really good. If there's anything else you want, always please drop an email to beyondbeck at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at beyond underscore Beckdale. This Loathe Like Love episode is about another L, literature. I find that when I'm thinking of things to talk about for the podcast, nice little um, coincidences happen and so suddenly it becomes obvious what the theme should be and that's exactly what happened this time round, which is I was listening to an audiobook and found something I loathed and we're obviously going to talk about that first because I just love talking about the things I loathe and then I also picked up a book for the first time in quite some time and I nearly couldn't put it down. Who'd have thunk it? Um, Audio content versus hard literature. We are going to start with something that I loathe again, uh, because there's so much rich material here. And although I've said literature, I believe that covers a lot of different forms and I'm going to talk about a comic. Um, This is an old DC comic from a long time ago and I think that's important when looking at it. Although the reason why I'm talking about it today is because I recently downloaded a new version audiobook of this story and the story and the comic book series is called Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Audible has just released a new version of the Sandman series with many famous voices, uh, the most prominent being James McAvoy playing one of the main characters who is called Dream and various other names. Um, I don't want to say too much about it because Sandman's quite complicated. (laughs) It has lots of different characters. It went on for quite a long time and it takes in all of this folklore and myth and legend and historical people into it and it's very cleverly made. I also want to mention that it was first released in 1989, I think, and had its heyday in the 1990s. And of course, that's now 30 years ago, so I have to look at things in terms of how they were written and made 30 years ago. However, you would have thought with a new release, star-studded, big audio adaptation of the book, uh, of the comic, um some updates would have been made to some parts of the story which may not necessarily sit so well with current audiences. 
um, a friend of mine told me about this because they'd heard it advertised, uh, a woman, and she downloaded it. And then I went, oh, I want that too. And I downloaded it. And I have read, I think the only book I've read by Neil Gaiman is Neverwhere, which I really, really liked and probably read about 10 years ago. And I wonder if I, if I reread it now, whether I find something different about it. But I enjoyed that um, at the time. And so I think I definitely projected my idea of what salmon might be like based on me thinking that Neil Gaiman was quite enlightened and I know there's another issue here which is about what Gaiman says and does on Twitter and is in his social life which isn't necessarily at the cutting edge of um a feminist enlightenment however again I'm putting that to one side I'm just talking about the material so I start listening to Sandman and I'm immediately annoyed and I don't want to be. I've spent money on getting this really long audio version and it's really great hearing the character voices and James McAvoy's phenomenal in it and the audio production's really good um, but then I start to notice something and I think I got about four chapters through and I thought I think I'm going to have to have a break because I'm so enraged by this. Now I'm going to play some clips and I want to be clear with you that I'm not playing everything here. There are lots and lots of different descriptions in Sandman uh, and storytelling parts and there are plenty of different characters. There are also trans characters and a lot of lesbian characters a lot of characters that define themselves apparently by the sex of the people they have sex with so take from that what you will. But as is the way with me pointing these things out to listeners, I actually just want to show some brief characterisation and development of story issues that I found and I'm probably going to lead the witness again. At the beginning of the story there are a number of characters dotted all around Earth who kind of succumb to a sleeping sickness which is all related to this dream character who can kind of control sleep and relates to the afterlife the underworld um and this is a description of one of the characters this is a male character and presumably because of when this was written there was definitely a closer relationship to world war ii than things that we right now um unless it's specifically set at that time this is an introduction to the character of stefan wasserman who falls asleep uh one of these people succumbing to the sleeping sickness and he's a 14 year old boy in germany verdun france stefan wasserman is part of tonight's attack on enemy trenches as soon as it's dark he will go over the top he never dreamed it would be like this. Nobody told him. He lied about his age to enlist. He is almost 14. This seems fair enough. London. Young kid decided he wants to fight in the war, lies to enlist, and then he falls into a deep slumber. Uh, and now I'm going to play you an introduction to a character called Unity Kincaid, who is a female character. London, England. Unity Kincaid tosses between linen sheets. She dreams of a tall, dark man. 
His eyes burn like twin stars in her hair. She mutters and whimpers. Lost in a world beyond her understanding, Unity dreams. I'm sure you can see the differences already. This is a woman who, she exists to sleep. I don't really know anything about her apart from where she was. Um, and she dreams of a man. Now, that could be the dream character played by James McAvoy, so I'm not completely against that, but it's incredibly heteronormative because basically this woman whimpers and groans and there are appropriate noises, or shall we say inappropriate noises, during this introduction, where basically her life is being asleep and dreaming about a guy in a quasi-sexual way. I should probably mention at this point that Neil Gaiman himself is reading these descriptions. He's the narrator of the story. Just for a bit of a change, um, here's a little description of Michael Sheen's character. He's in it as well, and um, I just found this amusing. And in Witchcross, England, as he turns the pages of the maudlin grimoire, Roderick Burgess's waking dreams are of power and glory. Yes. Yes. And of death, of course. Back to Stefan and Unity. Um, so a little bit later in the story, um, they've both been asleep for a long, long time. This is the description of what happens to Stefan when he's at Verdun. The days pass. On the Western Front, doctors examine a soldier who seems to have lost his mind amid the horror of trench warfare. Stefan. This seems fair. He's been asleep for a long time. They think it's some kind of new form of shell shock where you're just asleep forever, which I can completely buy. Now let's go back and see what's happening with Unity. Unity Kincaid finds it harder and harder to stay awake. She now sleeps for almost 20 hours a day. She used to dream, to shift in her sleep, muttering and sighing, locked in half-remembered fantasies. Now she lies unmoving, breath shallow and silent. Yep, you heard it. Unity Kincaid, she used to have a lot of sex dreams and now she's no longer having any sex dreams and that must be really hard for her because when a woman sleeps, all she does is just constantly have fantasies. I'd love to say that was what happens when I'm asleep, sounds quite pleasant, but no. At this stage, I'm already thinking, oh God, what happens next time I hear a female character? And there's another character introduced called Rachel who is in a relationship um, with a character called John who is played by um, Stephen Graham and I can't remember who plays Rachel which says it all um, I will find out and um, she is also caught in a kind of sleeping sickness but she's got this weird sand that she's got from the Sandman and I think she can control it and she's wasting away but she's enjoying herself asleep um, but as soon as he takes the bag of sand back um, she will wither away to nothing. So how do we imagine Gaiman describes Rachel in her semi-permanent slumber? Her hair comes out in clumps when she moves. She tries not to move too much. Her skin is flaking, infected and inflamed. Bed sores cover her back and legs. Her fingernails grew long and brittle. 
Then they broke off. Her nipples are hard and dark and shrunken on breasts like empty pouches. You what, Neil Gaiman? What do her nipples have to do with anything? Why would we be seeing her nipples? Why does it matter what colour they are? Have any male characters' penises been discussed at any point at length? No. And this isn't even the only description of a woman's body in the first four chapters of The Sandman. We are about to move into problematic content on both a gender and racial basis. Again, I will reiterate that this was made 30 years ago and things have changed. However, this is the new adaptation and maybe there should have been some changes before this was made. Here is a description of a female character called Nada. The voice comes from a young black woman, from an African race which ceased to exist 10,000 years ago. Sealed into a cage, shards of razor-sharp glass set into its bars, she is thin but very beautiful, with spiral tattoos on her cheeks, her body decorated with walls and abstracts. Once, she was Dream's lover. Well, of course, once she was Dream's lover, because I don't think women do anything else other than want to shag a male character. So that was a shock. Um, Also, how do we know that her body's covered in whirls unless she's in that cage naked? Don't worry, listener, it gets worse. This is what Nada sees Dream as. Uh, Remember, Dream is James McAvoy. In Nada's eyes, his chalk white face is a deep mahogany brown, and a line is tattooed from the hairline down to his right eye. His eyes still glow, and the cheekbones are still set high. Dream Lord, I hoped one. Yeah, because he couldn't possibly look like a white man. For a black goddess to love him, he had to look like a black god. Okay, fair enough, 10,000 years ago. Now, if they'd actually made Dream black all the way through, be 100% on board with this. I didn't really want us to suffer through any more of this, but I think we should at least let Nada speak, shouldn't we? You ordered me confined here. Your forgiveness can free me. I implore you. (laughs) Don't you love me? Thank you, Amaka Okafor. I'm sorry that you were forced to do this and go through a slave narrative. Um, I thought you were really good in what I heard. But unfortunately, Sandman needs to get with the programme. So I think my point has been made. Um, I think that even though this is a really good adaptation, it should have been brought up to date for 2020. And I think that there's a lot of unconscious bias. Um, I'm going to say Gaiman now, uh, because this is the point of the podcast when I realised... Um, that Gaiman employs in both his writing and his narration. Uh, let's end with a little bit of a hate listen. Yeah. <laughs> Bastard. Love you. I know. It's the best <laughs> of all possible worlds. No, Neil. It isn't. Now for my favourite bit. 
the love section. There isn't really any like here. There's only deep hatred and intense love with me at the moment. And, and this is about some literature that I love that has been a wonderful, pleasant surprise. Um, I don't know about you, but I've really struggled recently to read and I haven't... Well, that's a lie. I read the news all the time. I read my phone all the time. I've really struggled to concentrate on reading a full-length work of literature. However, I found a book that I like. I like it so much. I had to stop myself reading it because I'm going on holiday and I want to finish reading it on holiday and enjoy every page. Cue this section of When Harry Met Sally because I have already read the last chapter because I'm just like that. Just as much of a dark side as the next person. Oh, really? When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. That, my friend, is a dark side. Before I talk about the book, I'm going to talk about how I found the book. And I found the book by looking at the Booker Long List. Um, you probably all know what the Booker Prize is, but it's a literary prize in the UK. And um, I normally look at the short list, and most years I try and read one or two books from the list. And recently I found that harder. I haven't always liked the winners um, or, or been that interested in buying the winners. That's not fair. Um, and this time I, I think I saw online people talked about the long list being more interesting and more varied this year. And it really was. And I saw in a local bookshop a display of many of the books in the long list. So I think the literary industry has worked out that the long list could be a selling point because everybody's so different now and there are so many good looking books on there and I've seen other people read other books but the one that I picked up and the book that I love and I'm recommending to you is called The New Wilderness by Diane Cook. I pray she gets on the short list if nothing else for making me be able to read a book again which I thought would never happen. Um, I just absolutely love it. She's a debut novelist. Um, I think she lives in America and um, there's a blurb from Emily St. John Mandel on the cover and I don't know if you've ever read her book, Station Eleven, but that is a post-dystopic book about um, being creative um, in a horrible apocalyptic world and this is about a woman's survival in a potential post-apocalyptic world it's more complicated than that as these things always are but um it's lyrical it's um visually interesting I feel like I can see everything the descriptions are beautiful um and I don't really know what's going to happen even having read the last chapter <laughs> which I, I think um, is good. I thought that what I'd do, rather than just give you a crappy Goodreads review, is I'm going to read um, some of the first chapter, see what you think of it. I think you will realise very quickly that this is a book with a female protagonist. So here we go. The baby emerged from B, the colour of a bruise. He burned the cord somewhere between them and uncoiled it from the girl's slight neck and, though she knew it was useless, swept her daughter up into her hands, tapped on her soft chest and blew a few shallow breaths into her slimy mouth. Around her, the singular song of crickets expanded. Bee's skin prickled from heat. 
Sweat dried on her back and face. The sun had crested and would, more quickly than seemed right, fall again. From where be knelt, she saw their valley, its secret grasses and sage. In the distance were lonely butts and, closer, mud mounds that looked like cairns, marking the way somewhere. The caldera stood sharp and white on the horizon. Be dug into the hard earth with a stick, then a stone, then hollowed and smoothed it with her hands. She scooped the placenta into it, then the girl. The hole was shallow and her baby's belly jutted from it. Wet from birth, the little body held on to coarse sand and tiny golden buds brittled from their stems by the heat of the sun. She sprinkled more dust onto the baby's forehead, pulled from her deer hide bag several wilted green leaves and laid them over the girl. She broke off craggy branches from the surrounding sage, laid them over the distended belly, the absurdly small shoulders. The baby was a misshapen mound of plant green, rust-red blood, a dull violet map of veins under wet tissue skin. you're completely put off and you don't want to read this and I kind of like that because I feel like Cook is saying this is what this is going to be about deal with it um or like me you're like is this about a woman giving stillbirth but um it's much more about the circumstances that B the main character is in um and you know you heard that even with me just narrating it and you know that's I'm not a professional actress. Um, the words that are used, the tones, like talking about rust red and violet and slimy, it's just um, no wonder this got published because that's just a brilliant opening page. Um, Diane Cook, The New Wilderness, absolutely love it. Um, and I haven't even finished it yet, not even halfway through, but um, I will finish it. We've reached the end of another Loathe Like Love. Hope you enjoy it. Please look at beyondbeckdale.com and catch you next time. Bye.